Good morning. Welcome to this assembly. Please open your Bible to Acts chapter 5. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4. Nothing like making a mistake in the first sentence. Acts chapter 4. You are invited back at 5 o'clock later this afternoon. I'll be dealing with a statement made by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 about foolish men. Please visit our website, lhmacallen.org, and share that with your friends. Our studies in the Gospel of John continue on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. Brief audio podcasts based on the Gospel of John are available on our website and through various podcast platforms and providers. You can listen to that on your own phone or your computer device. Now this morning, I'm returning to a series. I'm delivering one Sunday morning a month this year. It's What Christians Do, based on the book of Acts. That's the title of the series. Here's where we've been. In January, attention was given to the phrase, in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In February, Christians stick together. They help each other and they form local groups. In March, how Christians, how Christians help each other in terms of sharing in time of disaster and need. April, what it means to praise God in worship and with your life. In May, preaching the gospel. June was about rejoicing in the salvation God provides in Christ. Last month, Christians are to be full of good works. We're basing all of this on the book of Acts and we're calling it What Christians Do. See, the book of Acts not only tells us what to do to be saved. It tells us what people who are saved do. So, as I read the book of Acts, I learn what I ought to be doing in my life as a Christian. You learn what you need to be doing to be a Christian, not just in a building, or coming to a building, but to be a Christian in all your conduct, to be devoted to God wherever you are, inside and outside your life. Devoted to God. It's what Christians do. Now this morning, in Acts chapter 4, to get to our topic... I need to provide sufficient background. I need to set the stage. Peter and John are preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. This was after a lame beggar had been healed. That account is back in Acts chapter 3. But just as the Jewish leadership had rejected Jesus, they were now rejecting his apostles. The Jewish authorities were, as it says in verse 2, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So, 
No freedom of speech in Jerusalem then. If the authorities didn't like your message in part or in whole, you were forbidden to deliver that message. So it says they arrested Peter and John and put them in custody overnight. It was already evening when they took them. However, the word Peter and John had delivered was already at work. Verse 4, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. The next day, the Jerusalem authorities got together. Peter and John were called before the assembled leaders, and there was this inquiry. By what power or by what name do you do this, Peter and John? Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit to speak these words. I'm in Acts 4, verses 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that you rejected, the builders, which was become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, as I read that, Peter's response to the authorities. Did you hear any apologizing? Any flattering diplomacy or political manipulation? Did you hear any compromise? No. With the courage of faith and the words the Spirit gave, Peter said, What we do and what we preach is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. And Peter added, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The Jerusalem leaders were astonished. And they came to recognize that these men had been with Jesus and they had nothing to say in opposition to the miracle, the healing that had occurred. They quickly decided to tell Peter and John to just shut up please. Don't preach this message. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Further threatening was issued to Peter and John. Then they let them go, because there was the people who believed. And the man who had been healed was there. 
So they let them go, but they were under orders, you were not to preach the gospel. Now, if you were there, I want you to imagine, you're a new Christian. Spending some time with Peter and John and the other disciples, it's become a very close family, but now the, the family is under threat. Peter and John come back where you and the others are, and someone says to you, what do you think we ought to do? Are there various options that would move through your mind? Let's pack up and leave town. Let's just quit. This is causing too much trouble. Let's go back into the religion of Judaism and the authorities will be favorably impressed. Let's attack the authorities with carnal weapons. Mob tactics. Here's what they did. When they were released, this is verse 23 in Acts 4. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. There is no evidence that any of those typical options I brought up were even discussed. There was one option when Peter and John came back to the brethren. There was one option. We will lift our voices together to God. And you know what I'm going to say now. It's what Christians do. Continue preaching the gospel. Continue obeying Jesus Christ, even in crisis, even under threat. We lift our voices together to God through Jesus Christ. It's what Christians do. And what I'm going to call this episode in Acts 4 <clears throat> is a prayer meeting. 
And I want to highlight now three things about this for us to consider. We are in Acts chapter 4, talking about what Christians do under threat, under crisis. They acknowledged God's sovereignty. When we pray, I hope we do this. Speak to God and of God with words that express <clears throat> His greatness, His power, His sovereignty. Jesus gave us a good example. Hallowed be thy name. Paul wrote a prayer out in one of his epistles one time, and he said, <clears throat> Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. A very good practice to develop better your prayer life is to read and study the prayers recorded in the Bible. Many of them are found in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in those prayers, you will discover how people acknowledged the greatness of God. They spoke highly and immediately of the greatness of the one they were praying to. We need to address God with reverence, as these Christians did. They said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, they acknowledged the Creator. When we pray, I hope we are not just turning in a list of wants and complaints. I hope it's not like we're ordering online from Amazon or filling out a requisition at work. We are speaking to God, the Creator, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The fundamental truth about who God is, combined with fear and trembling, ought to have top place in our prayers. When under pressure or threat, we're not going to quickly tell God what to do and make demands impatiently. We're going to reverently and soberly approach the throne of grace with sincere and careful acknowledgement of who we're praying to. I tell you, it's what Christians do. They remembered what God had said they took what they had learned before, and that became a part of their appeal to God. See, these people were familiar with the Word of God written in the Old Testament. And they knew God had spoken about these very assaults of hostility and opposition. They knew what had been written, for example, in the book of Psalms chapter 2 and they quote part of that in their prayer. God had said this very thing would happen <clears throat> but that he would overrule it for his purposes. 
by the Holy Spirit through David, God had said that he knew there would be rage and plots against his people. It's worded this way. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. So these people who were with Peter and John in Jerusalem remembered that. And they cited that passage in their prayer. And then they said, in resignation to the reality of persecution, truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had presented to take place. That does not mean that the enemies said we're going to do God's will. It means what the enemies did, God would override for his purposes and plan. Now the point for us is that all prayer should be based on what we already know from God's Word. All prayer should be based on what we already know from God's Word. Never go into prayer blind to Scripture. All prayer should be based on what we already know that God has already said. If you are praying about some specific matter, go into that knowing what the Bible has already said about that. It will enrich your ability to communicate to the Lord through Jesus Christ. Now, be careful now. I'm not saying read the Bible instead of praying. I'm saying put these two disciplines together. They belong together. One should accompany the other. It's what Christians do. When we go into communication with God through Jesus Christ, we remember and base what we say to God on what we already know that we've read from His Word. That's one reason daily Bible reading enriches your practice of prayer. Because you're going to take what God has already said with you into your communication with Him. Number three, their petition didn't concentrate on protection, but give us more boldness. And again, I'll put us on the spot. What would you have prayed for? What would I have prayed for <clears throat> had we been there in that room with Peter and John after they'd been put in prison overnight and told, shut up? What would we pray for? And you already know the Savior. You know what they did to Him. So what would your prayer sound like? Lord, please keep me safe from harm. I hope that door is locked and big enough to keep them out. I don't want to go to jail overnight where Peter and John were. They said the food wasn't good. And Lord, I don't want to mess up my routine. I've got things I've got to do tomorrow. 
please, Lord, don't let them hurt me or take my house or take my money or in some way destroy the community and the neighborhood. Had we been among those Christians, would we have prayed for self, for protection? Would that have been primary? Keep our lives routine and convenient? Maybe even help us, Lord, to preach the gospel, but quietly. We don't want to upset anybody. Is that what our prayers would have sounded like? How much of our praying is largely a repeated formula of words that focuses on what we want now? Clichés. We've used over and over a list of what we want. Well, to use the same words you've used before is not wrong. And to ask for protection is not wrong. But what's primary? To tell God your heart's desire is not wrong. But what's primary? That's what we've got to get to. What must we continue to do even when we're tired and tempted and under pressure and there are not many people along with us what must we continue to do and now Lord look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness that's what they wanted help us communicate with even more boldness, the message that, that's getting us into trouble. And to the world, this doesn't make sense. Worldly wisdom is, if you're saying something that gets you into trouble, shut up. To the world, the disposition of the Christian doesn't make sense. To ask the Lord to give you boldness to do the very thing you've been told not to do. But this is what Christians do. In time of opposition, facing threats and persecution or whatever it might be. We don't want to stop preaching the gospel. We don't want to stop living lives devoted to the Lord. We don't want to go back where we were in sin, away from the Lord's work. We want to do more than we've done before. More opportunities, more workers, more boldness because we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ and we know there will be opposition because the Lord has already said there will be. We know we'll be under threat, but under threat we're not just going to pray for a strong lock on the door. We're not going to hide or quit It was written in poetic form by Hugh Stowell. From every stormy wind that blows, from every swelling tide of woes, there is a calm, a sure retreat, tis found beneath the mercy seat. Lord, help us to keep preaching and living your word. Now, there, there's an epilogue I need to add. 
You come to the end of this paragraph we've studied today, and you come to verse 31, and you may wonder, how did these people, what happened next? I'm not going to leave you with a cliffhanger. What happened next? How did these people survive? We certainly believe God took care of them in response to their prayer, but how did he do that? Did he drop a stronger door out of heaven? Did he drop manna from heaven? How did these threatened people survive? Just keep reading. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. It's what Christians do. I'm going to conclude with this. If you are not a Christian, this is the activity of faith in Christ that you need to personally embrace. And you do that by obeying the gospel. If you recognize that God is above all and the Bible is his word, Christ is the son of God, sin is man's problem, you can be redeemed by the blood... The apostles taught this is what you do to begin this way of life. Hearing the gospel, you believe in Christ, repenting of your sin, confessing your faith, you are baptized into Christ to live faithfully and to be the kind of people these kind of people were. It's what Christians do. If you need to become one, please come forward as we stand to sing. Jesus, ruler of all.